0: Om Shanno Mitrasham Varunaha Shanno Bhavatvaryama shanna Indra Vrihaspatihe Shanno Vishnururukramaha Namo Brahmane Namaste Vaya Tvameva Pratyaksham Brahmasi Vami Vapratyaksham Brahmavadishami Ritamadishami Satyamadishami Tanma (coughs) Mavadu (coughs) Tadvakta Mavadu (coughs) Avatu Om Sahana Vavadu Sahana Bhunatu Sahavir Yankar Vavahai Te Jasvina Om Shanti, shanti, shanti. Om Shantishantishanti Om Yas Chandasamrishabhavishvarupaha Chandavya Dhyamrita Samendra Menhaya Tasya Devadharano Bhuyasam Shariram Mevicharshanam Jehvam Me Madhu Mattamam Karna Abhyam Bhuri Vishruvam Brahmana Koshasimedhaya Pidaha Shrutam Me Gopaya Shanti 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 Om Aham Raksasya Riva Kirte Prashthangir Riva Vajini Vasva Mrdhama Savarchasam Sumedha Amrita Kshidaha Ititra Saṅkhaur Vedānu Vachanam Shanti Shanti Om Poornam Adha Poornam Idham Pūrāṇasya Puranameva Pūrāṇam eva-vaśasyaday Om Shānti 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 Shruti Smṛti Pūrāṇānām Ālayam karunālayam Namāmi Bhagavat Pāda Shankaram Loka Sankaram shankaram shankarachāryam, keshavam badarāyañam, sutra kṛtau vandhe, mantau punappunaha, Īśvaro guru-rātmedhi, mūrti-bheda-vibhāgine, vyoma-vadhyāptadehāya, Dakshinā mūrta ye namahum. Akhandam satchidānandam, akhandam satchidānandam. Avāṅ manasa gocharam, avāṅ manasa gocharam. Asraye bhishta siddhaye, asraye bhishta siddhaye, arthato bhjadvayanandan, arthato bhjadvayanandan, atita dvaita Guru-nārādhya vedānta, guru-nārādhya vedānta, sāraṁ vakṣya Samade, sāraṁ vakṣya yathāmade. In the passage 115 which we were discussing yesterday, the teacher here describes the kind of experience that the waker has. Tadanim etau viśva vaiśvanarau How same self or consciousness is gaining the experiences of the waking state all the experiences of what we call the gross objects at the level of individuality called Vishwa on account of identification with an individual upadhi And at the level of totality called Vaishwanara as identified with the totality of all the Upades. So both, this Jiva and Ishvara, both of them are experiencing the waking state and objects of the waking state. How do, how do those experiences take place? The experiences take place at the level of perception. Experiences or transactions take place at the the level of, I mean, organ of actions. And thinking and various other functions take place at the level of the mind. So this is at the by, what we call the organs of perception, and through the organs of action, and through the mind, this both Vishwa and Vaishvanara, meaning Jiva and Ishvara, individual and cosmic person. Both of them are gaining these various experiences. (coughs) Also, we said yesterday that for each function that takes place in our body, within ourselves, there is a presiding deity. Imagine a cosmic force or a cosmic pattern that governs or controls the corresponding function in our own body. So this body, this individuality, may be understood as a replica of the whole universe. And just as the whole universe is functioning in a harmonious manner, so also this body, this and all these functions are taking place in a harmonious manner. (coughs) So there is a correspondence, a constant correspondence between the individual and the cosmos. And the cosmos is the controlling factor. So therefore those various controlling factors which are responsible for the functioning of the various aspects in our body, They are called devatas or presiding deities. So this is how Vedanta sees a harmony, a correspondence, an inter... an inter-exchange between uh, between the individual and the total. You are never apart from the universe. An individual can never function independently or in isolation. He or she always is a part of the whole universe and functions in accordance with the total order that obtains in the universe. (coughs) No doubt there is one God. However, in in that, that God alone is manifest as the whole creation as we have been discussing. But then we see in the creation various forces which are controlling the various aspects of the nature of the creation. And therefore we look upon them as individual deities or devatas or gods which are aspects of one God. Just as I have hands and legs and eyes and ears with which I perform different functions, so also the cosmic person is as though performing different functions of seeing the eyes being sun, of breathing the breath being the wind, and of supporting the support being the earth, of accommodating that accommodation being of the nature of the interspace, and thus he also is performing all these functions. Therefore, there is a the correspondence between the individual person and the cosmic person. So it is said, tadhanim, meaning at that time, in state of waking, etau vishva vaishvanara, these two, vishva and vaishvanara, the individual and the cosmic person, dig, vata, arka, varuna, ashmi vihi, kramat niyantridena, shrotradhi indriya panchakena, the Shrotra, the Indriya Panchakam, this group of the five organs of perception beginning from ears, niyantridena is controlled by this devatas so or this cosmic forces in, in sequence. Dig means quarters. <coughs> Vata means the wind. Arka means sun. Varuna is the deity of water. And Ashwini, Ashvi are the deities Supposedly, of the presiding deity of the smell. So, dik or the quarters or directions are supposed to be the presiding deities of the function sound, because the sound travels through the directions, or in travel, sound travels in space, and therefore, also the space is considered to be the presiding deity of the of the uh, faculty of hearing. So, it is by the grace of this deity called dik or the quarters that the hearing is possible within ourselves. So it is said, in order, these are controlled, these various functions taking place in our body are controlled by corresponding deities. Vata, Vata means the wind, controls the function of touch. So the faculty of touch functions because of the grace or the favor of the wind god. Arka is the sun, presiding deity of the faculty of seeing and because of sun alone the seeing is possible. If the sunlight were not there, the eyes could not function. At night when the sunlight is not, the eyes are not able to function. And so it is said that sun is the presiding deity of the faculty of seeing. One aspect of sun alone dwells in our eyes and performs the function of seeing. And all this, this is not merely figment of imagination. There is some vision in all this. This is a vision that we have gained from the rishis, And if you have enough trust in this, then we can gain the favor of those devutas. I know for sure, as an experience, as, you know, my my practical knowledge, there is an Upanishad called Chakshusha Upanishad, a small short Upanishad. Chakshusha Upanishad. Upanishad pertaining to the function of seeing. And that Upanishad is in the form of a prayer or worship to Lord's Son. It is said that if you repeat that Upanishad every day in a certain manner for a period of time, then your function of seeing will improve. Or if you are losing your eyesight, well, you will be able to regain the eyesight or retain the eyesight or maintain it. And people have experienced this. (coughs) So whether it is superstition or whether it is what... There is no scientific proof about it. It is something that one has to do and discover. <clears throat> Varuna is a presiding deity of the function of taste. So he is presiding deity of rasa. Rasa means presiding deity of water. And he controls the faculty of taste. And by his grace, we are able to experience the taste, various kinds of taste. Ashvivihi, ashvini. These are two devadas, two deities supposed to be the presiding deities of the function of smell, and by that grace, that function of smell takes place. Sarottarādi indriya panchakena kramat Shabda sparsa roop So, śabda means sound, sparsa the touch, roopa the color, rasa the taste, gandha the smell, that these experiences, experience of these objects takes, take place. <coughs> So this is how both Vishwa and Vaishvanara experience the various objects of the world. Shabdhas, rupa, Asaganda, the sound, touch, etc. is what they experience in the waking state through the agency of these organs of perception. Then comes the transactions that take place through the organ of organs of action. So Vagad Indriya Panchagena, Kramad Vachana Adana, Gamana Visarga, Ananda, Anandaan, Vagad indriya panchakena, we have the group of five organs of action, beginning from speech. Kramad vachana, what's the function of speech? So with the speech, the Vishwan, Vishwanara, with the faculty of speech, vachanam, the utter words. <coughs> so utterance of speech is possible by the organ of speech. Then second is hands, is another organ of action, which which adhanam, I are mean we grasping. So holding and grasping is what takes place with the, with hands. So that's the second kind of transaction. Third is the legs with which gamanam, the motion. So locomotion, the motion takes place through the, the third organ of action called legs. Then visarga, forces is the organ of excretion with visarga, the excretion takes place. And ananda, the fifth is the organ of reproduction with which ananda takes place. Ananda means happiness. So, these five kind of functions or five kinds of transactions are carried out at the level of organs of action. How do they take place? For these organs of action also, there are what we call presiding deities. Who are they? Indra, Upendra, Agni, Indra, Upendra, Yama, Prajapati, Bhi. So, Agni, Agni means Fire. So fire, God, is supposed to be the presiding deity of the organ of speech. That it is by the grace of fire that the speaking is possible. When we are suffering from cold, when the fire is has gone from our body or has become quieter, then you can see how our speech gets affected. And so more fire perhaps in a body, more powerful the speech must be, I guess, you know. So we call it fire speech. So fire is associated with speech. Fire is considered to be the presiding deity of speech, organ of speaking. Then Indra. Indra is the king of all the gods in the heavens. He is considered to be the presiding deity of our arms. So action. So Indra is the presiding deity of action. And by his grace, the action is possible. so Indra Vridha We seek his grace. May he be favorable to us, so that we perform good actions through our arms, through our hands. So all actions are primarily performed. Action means karma. The rituals and service and all of these are primarily done at the level of hands. (coughs) Then Upendra. Third is the the legs with which the uh, function of walking or function of motion is done. And the presiding deity of this faculty of motion is Upayendra, meaning Vishnu. So shanno Vishnu rurukramaha, we say. So me Vishnu hu urukramaha, means one with long strides. So Vishnu also means way wasted Vishnu, Vishnu means one who is pervading, all pervasive. He is also described as one having long strides. So Vishnu is considered to be the presiding deity of the legs, meaning of the faculty of motion. Another name of Vishnu is upendra because in one incarnation as Vamana, he was the younger brother of Indra, so he's called upendra So upendra means Vishnu. He's the presiding deity of the faculty of motion. <coughs> then Yama. Yama means death. The lord of death is called Yama. And is supposed to be the presiding deity of the organ of excretion, anus. So yama is the presiding deity of, so death always lives in the lowest level. So anus or the organ of excretion is the lowest level. And yama or death is supposed to be the presiding deity of that function. (coughs) And Prajapati, Prajapati means creator. Naturally creator is supposed to be considered the presiding deity of the organ of reproduction. So, these are the five devatas who control the various actions taking place in our body. (coughs) So, five devatas controlling the organs of actions of organs of perception, functioning of organs of perception. Five deities controlling the various functions of organs of action. And then, we have the mind. Mind also is looked upon as performing four functions. So, Mano, Manaha, Buddhi, Ahankara, Chittakkena, Antarindriya chatuskena. This antarindriya means Antahkaranam, the inner organ. Indriya chatuskena. it is supposed to be a group of four. So, even though the mind is one, often it is referred to as four, because the mind performs four kinds of functions primarily. What are these four functions? sankalpa, nischaya, ahankārya, chaitāmshya. With the, whenever mind is in a state of what we call manaha, when it is emotional, or when it is impulsive, or when it is indecisive, when it is doubting, so when the mind is in that state, it is called manaha. At that time, sankalpa, vikalpa. So vacillations, pros and cons, or a decision in the opposite this kind of conflict takes place in the mind. So when the mind is doubting, mind is feeling, impulsive, vacillating, at, the, at that state of mind is called manaham. That function also is governed by a presiding deity. Who is the presiding deity? Chandra. Chandra means the moon. Moon is considered to be the presiding deity of the, fu- of the fan- faculty of feeling, faculty of doubting. Faculty of vacillating. Faculty of sankalva, vikalpa. Uncertainty. Or whatever. Because moon is waxing and waning, you know. Moon is never steady. It waxes and wanes. It grows and decays. And so is our mind that emotional faculty is never steady. It's waxing and waning. Now sankalva, now vikalpa. And so, that is why, and of course we know very much that the... the state of moon does have an influence upon the emotional aspects of our personality. And more sensitive a person is, more influenced a person will be by, by moon. <coughs> and second, second is buddhi. With that what function will we perform? Nischaya. Nischaya means determination or ascertainment. So all judgment, knowledge, determination, ascertainment. All of that takes place at the level of what we call buddhi. So when the mind is in the mode of determining, ascertaining, knowing, then that mind is designated as buddhi. Who is the presiding deity of buddhi? Chaturmukha. Chaturmukha means Brahma or the creator. So Brahma or the creator is considered to be the presiding deity of the function of intellect. Function of knowing, function of determining, function of judging, that is the presiding deities, Praja or Chaturmukha or Brahma, the creator. Creator is endowed with knowledge. Interesting enough, the consort of Brahmaji is goddess Saraswati or the goddess of knowledge. So Brahma or creator has his consort as the goddess of knowledge. Brahma, the creator, is said to have four heads. Each head stands for a Veda. There are four Vedas, and Brahma, our Creator, is said to have four heads. Each head standing for four Vedas, each one looking in one direction. That means he is all pervasive, or he is all knowing. He is seeing, he knows, or the, all the directions mean whatever there is in all the directions. Therefore, Brahma, our Creator, is supposed to be omniscient, all knowing. And therefore, he has four heads looking in four directions, all the directions. It's easy to have five heads at one point in time one head looking up and it was chopped off and there are stories like that you know but anyway so four vedas it is said that it is believed that the vedas contain everything whatever there is to know in the world is all contained in vedas and therefore brahma or the creator is all knowing therefore the four heads he has represent the four vedas so knowledge is a function taking place in the intellect so rightfully Prajapati or Brahmana, the creator is said to be the presiding deity of buddhi or the faculty of intellect. (coughs) Then ahankarya, ahankarya means what? This ego. And so, this personality, you can call it, or individuality. The sense of individuality, the sense, the assertion, the ego. So when I assert myself, then that state of mind is called Ahankara. In this case, ahankara means ego, the asserting faculty, the individuality, your individual faculty that is called ego, ahankara. Who is the presiding deity? Shankara. Lord Shiva is supposed to be the presiding deity of the function of ahankara. Why Shankara? So, Lord Shiva is, is credited with the function of destruction. In the universe, these three functions take place, three things take place constantly. Creation, sustenance and dissolution. Creation, the presiding deity is Brahma. Sustenance, the presiding deity is Vishnu. And destruction, the presiding deity, is Shankara or Shiva or Rudra. So every morning we chant is Rudra. Namaste Rudra manyava. Manyave utodaiśave ishave namaha. We say namaste he rudra. Manyave tava manyave namaha. Salutations to your anger, He's supposed to be an angry, angry means because destruction. So when Lord Shiva is in the mode of destruction, naturally he becomes like fire, Kala Rudraya, he is like the fire of destruction. And therefore destruction is the function of, uh, of Lord Shiva, I would say. In a benign aspect, he destroys ignorance. The aspect that we are worshiping primarily is a benign aspect of Lord Shiva where he destroys ignorance. And that's what we are praying him for, to destroy the ignorance. Mrityanja is called one has conquered the death. But in his ferocious aspect, Shiva is called Rudra. So Rodayati, one who makes everybody weep. At the time of dissolution, all the Jivas, you know, he, he, he removes or he takes away the life of all the living beings and everybody is dead. And so, he said to make everybody weep. So rudra is the ferocious aspect of Shiva and that is considered to be the presiding deity of the faculty called ahankara or individuality. Why is it so? Because wherever ahankara is, wherever individuality or ego is, wherever that assertion is, that is where division is, that is where destruction is. So divide. That's why this this finger, the, the forefinger is always associated with ahankara, accusing finger. So whenever I'm asserting, whenever I'm, you know, then I always accuse, I create a division between I, I distinguish myself, I isolate myself, and create a division between I and everybody else. Therefore, this ahankara of the ego destroys. It destroys everything. Very often, ahankara of the ego is compared to a demon called Basmasura. This Basmasura was a demon who performed penance for a long time and pleased Lord Shiva and when Lord Shiva appeared before him says, okay, grant whatever boon you want. Every every demon will ask for the boon of being immortal. I want to be immortal. I should never be, I should never die. So that's not possible. Whoever is born has to die. So ask for something else. Then they will ask for a boon which will almost make them immortal. But there will be some loophole and that loophole will be exploited, you know. So this fellow also says, okay, he thought, He says, give me the boons that whatever I touch with my hands will turn to ashes. (laughs) Means basma. Basmasura, the demon who wants to turn everything to ashes. Lord Shiva is supposed to be a very simple deity. Simple means he's supposed to be very innocent. He doesn't know, he doesn't know that the angularities of the world. He's supposed to be very innocent. So, okay, have it. And so Lord Shiva... So every time Lord Shiva in all the innocence which may amount to stupidity, you know, very often innocence and they're not much different. But anyway, Lord Shiva in all his innocence and, you know, in his generosity will grant the boons and then create lots of difficulties. Then never Purana, there are so many stories where Lord Vishnu will have to come forward in order to save the situation. This is a very common thing. So Lord Vishnu's job is to preserve the order. And by giving various kinds of boons to the demons, there is now a threat to the order Whenever the order is threatened, then Lord Vishnu steps in, in the form of an incarnation or something, and is said to save the order. It's very nice, very beautiful. But anyway, here this bhasmasura this, this, this demon, uh, asked for this boon, and Lord Shiva, in all innocence, as we say, or generosity, gave the boon. It's all right. Then Lord Shiva started going away, and this demon says, wait a minute, Lord you're given him the boon that whatever I touch will turn to ashes. So wait a minute, let me try whether it works or not. So okay, you can try. So I want to try on you, you know. <laughs> so he wanted to try that boon on Lord Shiva himself. Then Lord Shiva ran, he just say, you know. And this fellow is after him. And this is how it goes on. So ahankara or ego is basmasura. Whatever it touches, it turns to ashes. It is compared to fire. And so, it is a destructive. That's the reason why this um, Rudra or the, this, the the ferocious or destructive aspect of Lord Shiva is said to be the presiding deity controlling the function called Ahankara. Therefore, in order to become free from Ahankara, what do we do? We worship Rudra. So every day we chant Rudram. Why? We worship him. Please be graceful to us so that we can become free from. All the tormenting and the torture that our ego is at the moment uh, uh, creating for our own self, who is who is torturing us? None other than our own ahankara. Ahankara is tormenting and torturing, and therefore we seek the blessing of Rudra, the Binaya, the Lord, Lord Shiva, so that he would destroy that ego. Anyway, so ahankara is assertion, and Shankara Rudra. The destructive aspect, the ferocious aspect of Lord Shiva is considered to be the presiding deity of Ahankara. And Chaitta. Chaitta means function of Chitta. Means remembering. So deliberation, remembrance, reflection, that's also a function that our mind performs. When the mind is performing the function of remembering or deliberating or reflecting or even inquiring, then it's called Chitta. And the presiding deity of Chitta is Achyuta, means Lord Vishnu. So Lord Vishnu or Vasudeva is supposed to be the presiding deity of the function of reflection, function of remembrance, function of inquiring, function of deliberating. That's how we learn new things. So we learn by deliberation, by inquiring. So that faculty which enables us to do is called Chitta. (coughs) Thus, We gain these various experiences of knowing, of doubting, of doubting, of knowing, of asserting, and of remembering through our mind with the grace of these various presiding deities. So this whole range of experiences has been described. Experiences taking place at the level of organs of perception, the functions taking place at the level of organs. And all the mental reactions and the experiences taking place at the level of mind, sarvān sthūla thulvishyān anubhavataḥ. This two, the Vishwa and the the individual and cosmic person, both of them are both of them are experiencing all these gross objects. So understand that. Even the, all of these objects like remembrance, etc., which are at the level of mind, all of these are classified as sthulavishaya or gross objects. Gross in as much as they can be objectified. So whatever can be objectified is said to be gross here. Sarvanitan sthulavishayan anubhavataha. Where do you derive this information from? Jagaritasthanaha vahish prajnaha ityadish rute hai. Manduk ke Upanishad describes, jagradasthana hai, vahish prajnaha, ekona vimshatimukha hai, sthoolabhub, vaisvanar hai, prasam afpada hai. The vahikar is described in Manduk ke Upanishad as jagradasthana hai. When the self has its jagradasthana hai, when his realm of functioning is the state of waking. Bahis when the consciousness is turned outward, meaning when he is always looking outward through the mind and the organs of perception, outward through the sense objects, because our sense organs are always directed outwardly, extrovertly. So when his consciousness is extrovert, when he is gaining various experiences through the sense organs, then it's called jagar When his mind is extrovert, meaning directed towards the sense objects, it's called vahishprajñah. Saptanga he possesses seven limbs. The cosmic person possesses seven limbs, where the head is supposed to be the heavens, and the space is supposed to be the middle body, and the fire is supposed to be the mouth, and the wind is supposed to be the the breath, and the sun is supposed to be the eyes, the feet are supposed to be the legs, so this cosmic person having seven limbs, 19 are his mouths with which he is gaining various experiences. These 19 mouths are the five organs of perception, five organs of action, the five pranas, and the four faculties of mind, when tahkana making the 19, sthoolabhub, gaining experiences of sthula or gross objects, vajshvanah, the cosmic person or the individual person is Prasam of Padaha. That's the first quarter or the first state of the Self. <coughs> so this is how the Vakar experiences are described. So having said this, then, now shows here the identity between Vishwa and Vaishwara. Vishwa, the individual, Vaishwara, the total individual person and the cosmic person shows identity between them. Identity obtains at both the levels. At three levels it obtains. This text shows us the identity or oneness obtaining at all the levels. I am Vishwa. I am an individual person having this small little body and small mind and everything that is little. And then we have Vaishwana, the cosmic person, possessing the body and the mind and all faculties which are limitless. So which are all, all encompassing. So I possess a personality which has a, a very small little scope and the cosmic person possesses a personality which is all encompassing in its scope. But then also we say that this Vishwa and Vaishwana the individual and the cosmic person are one. They are one, even at the level of the upade. This body also is not really different from the body of the cosmic person. It's one faculty, one entity alone, when looked at from the individual standpoint, we call it the tree, and looked upon from a sleeping standpoint, then we call it forest. And so, also one faculty, one entity alone is called one body, when looked upon from an individual standpoint, is called the cosmic body when looked upon from the total standpoint. In that sense, just as tree and forest are not really separate from each other, and so also the Vishwa and Vaishvanara, even at the level of the body, are not separate from each other. And even the consciousness, the individual consciousness and the cosmic consciousness are also not really separate from each other. The consciousness is individualized on account of identification with vanupadi, And the consciousness is said to be all-encompassing on account of its identification with all the upades. But still they are only the individual consciousness. So looking upon consciousness as individual consciousness, or looking upon consciousness as cosmic consciousness, both of these are standpoints only. Consciousness is one. But when looked upon from the standpoint of an individual body or Upādhi, it is called individual consciousness. And same consciousness when looked upon from the total upadis. then it is called total or cosmic consciousness. But at that level also they are one. And of course, when you look at the consciousness or when you see the consciousness devoid of all the Upadi, devoid of any association, then it is one in absolute sense. So oneness in absolute sense, so the primary sense is when the consciousness is devoid of any association in its pure state, but then, even non-separation of oneness is there, in a relative sense also, even at the level of upadi also, there is no technical, there is no essential difference. What is the essential difference between one person and another person? The body is made of the same stuff, same food, and the sense organs are made of the same five elements, the mind also made of the same five elements, what is the difference? Other than identifying this and calling it I, and therefore separating every other individual as, as different from me, so that is my own per- problem, that's my own personal standpoint, that I want to call only this one as I, and I want to call everybody else as, as other than I. But if I give up that, then I discover, I see that there's no essential difference between one body and another body. There's no essential difference in one body and the cosmic body also. So. This text here beautifully tells us how first to expand our vision even at the level of upadi. Not only do we appreciate or we have to learn, we have to see the truth of oneness obtaining at the absolute essential level of consciousness, but the oneness or harmony that obtains even at the relative level also is to be appreciated. That is what we call saguna brahma, brahma lord with all the attributes is manifest even at that level also, there is only one harmony. Not that gods are many, or even the individuals are many. There is only one God. He alone is called different individuals, depending upon how we look upon it. So it is not going to be possible to really gain that knowledge of the absolute oneness unless we also see the oneness or harmony that it obtains. That's why the values. Why are these values of non-violence and truthfulness and purity? Why? What, what, you know, what need is there in appreciation of consciousness which is beyond non-violence and truth and everything? So after all the self transcends everything. There is no need for any value, nothing at all to know the self ideally or theoretically. And still we are always told to maintain, follow these values strictly and have all these various spiritual disciplines. Why is it so? Because, so that we can appreciate that harmony or oneness, in order to create that sensitivity, create that vision or understanding, to appreciate the oneness or the harmony, even obtaining at the level of manifestation. Then we shall be able to appreciate that oneness, which is there definitely, which is not manifest to the eyes, but which is there, but to appreciate that it is necessary to grow and expand even at the level of our emotion, our mind, wherein we become sensitive to the obtaining oneness or harmony in the manifest creation. Therefore, that harmony also or the oneness is shown in this text even at the level of manifestation, let alone from the standpoint of the essential truth. So that is being said in the subsequent passages now. says in the passage 116, Atrapi Anayoho Sthula Vyashti Samastyoho, Tadupahita Vishwa Vishwa Narayoscha. One of Rukhsha Vata, Tadavachinna, Akasha Jalavata, Tadgata, Pratabimba, Akasha Vata, Uruva same, language is the same, passages are the same, and sounds all mechanical, you know. If you keep repeating this, it'll just, we can keep on mechanically repeat all these oneness etc., you know. It just becomes then, that's, becomes another language. But we have to try to see it at every step, atrapi, here also. Here also means even at the level of what we call the gross manifestation. We were shown the identity or oneness, rather not identity but oneness, the harmony obtaining at the causal level, the harmony of oneness obtaining at the subtle level, and now we are shown the harmony or oneness obtaining at the gross level, atrapi, even in reference to this gross creation, anayoho of these two, which are these two, sthula Vishwa Vaishvanara Yoscha. upādi. means this equipment. So, Vyasti and Samashti ho. Even this upādi, the gross body, the individual gross body and the cosmic gross body, between them, tadupahita, Vishwa Yoscha, or the consciousness associated between the two, which we call the individual consciousness and the cosmic consciousness, called Vishwa and Vaishvanara, So individual upadhi and the cosmic upadhi, and the consciousness associated with the individual and the cosmic upadhis. Also there is abhedaha. Abhedaha is non-separation. They are non-different. How? One of rakshavat, inasmuch as the forest and the tree are really not separate. Trees make up the forest, the essence of tree and the forest is one. And what we call tree in the forest are standpoints, and so also what we call the Vishwa and Vaishwan are also standpoints of the same entity, and therefore, in really speaking, there is no separation between them. Tadavat kasha And the space conditioned by a tree, and the space conditioned by a forest, how the two spaces are also one, and so also... The consciousness condition why the individual body and the consciousness condition why the total body they are also one alone. Dimensions, no doubt about that, but not different substance. So we do not say that Jiva and Ishvara or Vishwa and Vaishva are the individual cosmos. They are, I, they are one. Even from the standpoint of dimension, no. In terms of the abilities, everything is little or limited at the individual level. But essentially they are one. The stuff that makes up the individual is the stuff that makes up the total, that's all. The five elements and whatever makes up this individual personality is what makes up the cosmic personality also. And therefore, there is a personality here, there is a personality in the cosmos. You see, there is an intelligence in the individual body, there is an intelligence in the whole cosmos also. There is a harmony in the individual body, there is a harmony in the whole cosmos also. The individual body has a personality. And it's idiosyncrasies, I guess. And so, so the cosmos has its own personality and its own idiosyncrasies. Sometimes, therefore, you have this um, uh, earthquakes, and you have uh, all these uh, storms and all kinds of things, you know, and volcanoes and whatever. So this kind of disruptions take place in nature as they sometimes take place in our own body. All the disruptions are supposedly in order to bring about again a harmony. When some disharmony takes place then these changes take place to bring about a harmony. So also when you abuse this body then some changes take place in there in order to again bring about harmony. So we find a cosmos also exhibiting ahankara personality and just as individual also exhibits the personality. From all this standpoint, we can say that the individual person and the cosmic person are not really different from each other. Even though they are different in dimension, as far as the essential stuff is concerned, the essential characteristics are concerned, they are not different. Thus, the individual upadhi and the cosmic upadhi, and the individual consciousness or consciousness conditioned by individuality and the consciousness conditioned by the totality, even they are also the same. Jalasha jalavat, tadgada, pradvimva, akasha Or you can say that how one pool of water and the whole reservoir, all the space reflected in one pool of water and the space reflected in the whole reservoir of water, they are also one. And similarly also, this Vyasti and samasti and Vishwa and Vaishvānara, they are not separate from each other. <coughs> We have said that these two illustrations have been given throughout. Uh, one is avacchedavada, other is a meaning one is a model of conditioning, space conditioned by, a, a, in enclosure, or space reflected in a reflecting medium. So these are the two models which we discussed earlier. Each model tells us something. Each model seeks to explain the sense of limitation, individuality that we are experiencing. Why? So therefore these models are there. Why does the part space feel small? Why does the little reflection feel it is small? Because it doesn't know that it is merely reflection. That smallness is mithya, or that smallness is unreal, that the reflection does not know, so it feels small, and therefore this prasibimba or the reflection model is given. Why do I feel so limited? The part space does not know that it is space. And therefore, the part space thinks that it is actually enclosed or confined by the enclosure of the part, and therefore thinks that it is small. So how this feeling of smallness, how the feeling of multiplicity, how the sense of multiplicity, this littleness, bondage, how do these, how are, how do these arise? There is an attempt to explain that by these models of Pratibhimba, the reflection, and the model of this Avacheda, the conditioning. <coughs> And thus, concluding this whole discussion, it is said here... evam panchikrta panchabhute vyaha sthulaprapanch putpattihe evam in this manner... Panchigrata, panchabhutebiha, sthulaprapancha utpattihi. Thus has been explained utpattihi, the creation. Sthulaprapancha, of this gross phenomenal universe. Thus is explained the creation of the gross phenomenal universe. From panchabhutebiha, from the five elements. Panchigrata, from the grossified five elements. Thus is explained the creation of this phenomenal or gross universe from the five elements which have been grossified. So this is the causal, the subtle, and the gross. All the three creations are thus explained. <coughs> now he takes all of them as a lump. So far we were shown the oneness obtaining at the causal level, at the subtle level, and the gross level. Individually, now the author takes the causal, subtle, and gross as one whole, and shows the oneness obtaining even there. So continuing with the page 118, I mean passage 118. Etesham sthula karana Samashtihi Eko Mahan Prapancho Bhavati Eko Mahan Prapanjo Bhavati Yathava Avantaravananam Samashtihi Eko Mahadvanam Bhavati Yathava Avantar jala, Avantar jala shayana, samashti, samashti. eko mahan jala shayana. So now visualize mahan prapancha. This vast, mahan is vast, or great prapancha, the great creation, the great universe. What is perceptible to us is only sthula prapancha of the phenomenal universe, the gross creation. What is not perceptible to us is the subtle creation, not perceptible to senses, but it is there. And then what we call the causal creation. So causal, subtle, and the gross of all the three creations, Adesham, sthula, sukshma, karana, prapanchanam, of all this prapancha of the universe, which is gross, subtle, and causal worlds, Samasthi hi eko mahan prapancha bhavadi. That samasthi or that aggregate becomes one mahan prapancha. A great universe. <coughs> Yatha just as avantarvananam. Then we have several forests. Sometimes you have forests with particular kinds of trees. A mango forest. I don't know, such as the entities there, you know, or a spruce forest or, you know, so oak forest sometimes. So then we separate forests you rise even farther and you'll find just one great forest. So there is an oak forest and there is a pine forest and there is a spruce forest. So this different forest be there. You rise high maybe 10 miles above in the air and you'll find a great forest where from which at height you would not be able to, in fact, be able to distinguish one forest from the other. When you rise high above, then you see one forest where you cannot distinguish one tree from the other tree. All the trees have lost their individuality and they reveal only there the universal aspect of treeness. And similarly if you rise even further, then you won't be able to even distinguish from separation, separate from one forest to the other forest, you'll just see a great forest where even the individual forests have also lost their individual characteristic and what you are able to perceive is a universal aspect in all the forests also. Similarly also, this gross body, the totality of all the gross bodies, totality of all the subtle bodies, and totality of all the causal bodies, all of them make up of what we call one great universe, like the totality of several forests, makes one great forest. Or Yathava, or another illustration, Avantara, Jalashanam, there are many reservoirs, so you call it one reservoir which is a group of many small pools of water, but many reservoirs make one great reservoir or ocean. So avantara jalashayanam samashti eko mahan jalashayah. The great reservoir a great expanse of water which is the totality of all individual expanses of water. And thus we have what we call the Mahan Prapancha, the great vast universe. How about the consciousness associated with this individual samastya, individual separate totalities, makes one great totality? So there also to say, in the passage 119, etadupahitam, etadupahitam. Etadupahitam. Ishwaraparyantam, Shaitan Pee, Satanyamap, Avantaravana, Avachin, Avatchan, Akasavate, Avantara, Jalasag, Pratibimba, Akasavacha. So we are three entities. The consciousness associated with the totality of all the causal bodies was called Ishwara. Consciousness associated with the totality of all the subtle bodies was called Hiranyagarbha. The consciousness associated with the totality of all the gross bodies was called Vaishwanara. So we have Vaishwanara, which is the Totality of the consciousness identified with the gross bodies. With Hiranyagarbha, the consciousness identified with the totality of all the subtle bodies. Vishwara, consciousness identified with the totality of all the causal bodies. Now of these three also, Etad upahitam, there is only one consciousness alone, which is called Hiran Hiranyagarbha and Ishwara. So Etad upahitam Vaishwanaradi, Ishwara Pariyantam, api. Chaitanya, the consciousness which is conditioned and which is designated as Vaishvanara, meaning the consciousness identified with the totality of the gross bodies. Hiranyagarbha, consciousness identified with the totality of all the subtle bodies. Ishwara, consciousness identified with the totality of all the causal bodies. Chaitanya, api, avantaravan avachinna avaantara jala shagadha prativambakashvaccha ekameva. And that Chaitanya, the consciousness, also is one, just as the space conditioned by smaller forest is one, or the space reflected in smaller reservoirs also is one, and so also the consciousness associated with these three also is one alone. <coughs> and then concluding this, Page I mean passage hundred and twenty. Abhyam Mahaprapancha Tadupahita Chaitanyabyam Tapaya pindavat pindavata msata Anupahitam Chaitanyam Sarvam Khalvidam Brahman Iti Mahavakyasya Vachyam Bhavati Vivektam Sada Lakshyam Abhi Bhavati Abhyam Mahaprabhanchar Tad now we have this great, vast universe, the upadi, and the consciousness of Chaitanyam associated with this great upadi consisting of the gross, subtle and the causal worlds. So that association is compared to the association of iron and fire, of Pindavat. Just as in a red hot iron ball, there is an association of the iron and the fire. Where the fire completely pervades the iron, every grain of iron is pervaded by the fire. And so also, every grain or every atom of the supadi, gross, subtle and causal, is pervaded by the consciousness. Nothing can ever exist without consciousness. Unless consciousness there is to support, unless the consciousness is there to reveal, unless the consciousness is there to impart its meaning or usefulness, nothing whatever sentient or insentient can ever be. So wherever this creation is, wherever the causal, subtle and the gross creation is, there definitely there is a consciousness of Chaitanyam which supports it, which reveals it, which imparts usefulness to it, which is the essence of it. And therefore there is an intimate association, just as your body also, in which there is an intimate association of the consciousness and the body. Body by nature is inert, as we know. However it is pervaded also by the consciousness and therefore that's the reason why this body is taken to the self because it is conscious or it appears to be conscious how it is difficult for us to distinguish between the body and the consciousness even though they are two separate entities sort of and so also it is difficult for us to just as it is difficult for us to distinguish between iron and fire because they are so intimately associated and so also the consciousness that's intimately associated with the gross, subtle and the causal. For when you are not able to distinguish or separate them, Abhivyaktam satar. When the fire is not separated from iron, then we say iron burns, you know. This iron burnt. This tea burnt me. The water burnt me. We say that. So when I say I am burned by tea, or when I am burned by water, it is not the water or the tea that burns, it is the fire in the tea or water that burns Or when you say that the fire burns, iron burns, it is the fire and the iron that burns. So there, when we say that the tea burns, that means that we have not distinguished the fire from water. The fire from tea is not distinguished, then we say tea burns. In that case, what is said in words is tea burns. What is meant is fire burns. So when this tea and fire are not distinguished, then we just say the tea burns, that time the fire becomes the the vachyartha, the immediate meaning, but the implied meaning is it is the fire that burns. And similarly also when we do not separate or do not discriminate between Chaitanya and the then we take them as one entity and we refer to as Ishwara, as Saguna Brahman, as I. When I use the word I, in fact, there is this both the entities, the upadhi also is there and the awareness also is there. When I do not distinguish between them, that in that one I are lumped both the self and the non-self, both of them are lumped together. Then there is what we call the vachyartha or the immediate meaning of the word I. So what is the meaning that immediately strikes when I use the pronoun I? What is the meaning that strikes immediately? What strikes immediately is this individuality. Therefore it is called vācīyārta, or the immediate or the direct meaning of the word I. But when we distinguish between these two elements that are involved in one I, distinguish between the self and the non-self, then we realize that the true or the ultimate meaning of the word I is that awareness alone, because this body or the mind, this upadhi, is not self. Similarly also when we say this, we mean the world. There also, when we are not able to distinguish between the name and form, which is the upadi, and asti, bhadi, priyam, the sat, chit, and the existence, the awareness, the happiness, when we are not able to distinguish between these factors, then we lump together. So when we say this, all the five factors are lumped together. There's Of one asti, bhati, priyam, which is brahma or chaitanyam or consciousness, and rupa and nama form and, and name, which is what we call the upari. And when we are not able to distinguish between them, then that becomes this, becomes the immediate. Then when you say this world, what immediately strikes us is both this world of names and forms. But when we appreciate the reality of names and forms, then they realize that the names and forms are perceptible, all right, but they do not enjoy an ultimate reality. And what ultimately real is, or what really obtains there, is only one asti-bhati and priyam. Then that satanyam, asti-bhati, priyam, becomes a lakshyarsa. So viviktaṁ sat, aviviktaṁ sat, when not distinguished, then the consciousness conditioned by the upādi becomes the immediate meaning Saguna brahma, the immediate immediate meaning of idam or this. And when it is distinguished, then it becomes the ultimate meaning. That pure consciousness is what is meant by the world. Even what we call world is nothing but pure awareness. When we give reality to the name and form, so long it is conditioned consciousness. It is saguna brahma, brahma consciousness with attributes. But what is the degree of reality of attributes? The degree of attributes only have a relative reality and therefore what really obtains is only an awareness or Chaitanyam devoid of all the attributes, devoid of any limitation. So it is said, Mahavakyasya Viviktam sada Lakshami Bhavati Sarvam Khalvidam Brahma Upanishad says, all of this is indeed Brahma. How can it be? How can this table be Brahma? This stone be Brahma? how can this little thing be Brahma? Brahma by the very name means that which is expensive, which is great, which is devoid of any limitation, and I find limitation everywhere. How can Upanishad say that this creation is Brahma? Then we have to say that the, prime, the immediate meaning is that Brahman as conditioned by the name and form is called creation. But in the ultimate sense, if word Brahman is to mean its primary meaning, then we have to find, we have to understand that this is not just the name and form, but when these names and forms are negated because they are not real, then what remains or obtains is Brahman or Chaitanyam, which is the true meaning of the word this or the word world also. This world is Brahman. The world in the ultimate meaning turns out to be pure awareness the scientists are discovering that this matter, in the ultimate meaning, turns out to be only pure energy, which is consciousness. As long as we don't analyze as to what it is, so long it appears to be matter, having a certain form, etc., but when we analyze it, it turns out to be pure awareness. Therefore Lakshyam Vibhavati. Thus as the author has shown here, the oneness obtaining between individual and the total, and shown how the individual and the total are the standpoints of one awareness alone. And concluding the passage, 121, evam vastuni neem avastvaropaha adhyaropaha samanyena pradarshitah. Evam, in this manner, Vastuni Avastu Arobaha. superimposition of avastu of that which is unreal. Vastuni upon that which is real. Superimposition of the unreal upon the real. Which is called dhyarobaha. Like superimposition of snake upon the rope. And so also we have shown how the whole creation consisting of the gross subtle and the causal worlds all of that is superimposition upon the vastu what's the vastu sachidanandam advayam brahman that brahman the limitless sachit ananda is the vastu and upon that is the whole creation of sort gross subtle and the causal universe is superimposed and that's super. samanya na Samānyena samanya in general this has been shown so Tatpada. In this statement, Tattvamasi, that thou art the Tatpada, which stands for Lord, stands for creation. How this creation is a superimposition upon one Brahman Chaitanyam or the Lord that has been shown. Subsequently will be shown the superimpositions that take place at the level of individual upon Aham. But so far has been primarily shown the superimposition taking place upon Tatpada. Oh, Brahman. ओके। a mother, poor and a midam, poor and Om Shanti 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 Shankaram Shankaracharyam keshavam Badarayanam Sutra-bhashya-kratau-vande Bhagavantau-punap-punaha Ishvaro Guru-ratmedhi bheda vyoma-vadhyāpta-dehāya dakṣinā-mūrta-ye-namahā murta śānti santi harihi harihi-oṁ śrī-gurubhyo-namahā harihi-oṁ